Please join me in Genesis chapter 3. We're in this summer series. We're calling the big picture. We're looking at the grand story that all of our lives fit into. And we've summarized that with four words, creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. We've already spent two weeks together talking about creation. And now we move to the second really chapter in the grand story. We come to the fall. And here's a question for you as we get started. What's wrong with the world? And many people have put a number of answers out there. Sometimes just almost comically, somebody will observe something and then they'll pronounce, you know, and that's what's wrong with the world. And they're not pointing to the ultimate thing. We might hear somebody say this, you know, kids don't play outside anymore. And that's what's wrong with the world. Or it might be something like this, you know, people don't know their neighbors anymore. And that's what's wrong with the world. Or it could be something like this. You know, when I was growing up, we only had four TV channels. And now we have hundreds. We're not watching the same shows. And that's what's wrong with the world. When people make statements like that, we know they're not, they're not pointing to the ultimate problem. They could point to bigger things than that thing that they're thinking of in the moment. They could point to things like natural disasters or the horrors of war. They could point to crime, corruption, dishonesty. They could talk about betrayal, abuse, disease, and poverty. They could point to conflict, hatred, depression, disappointment, and many things other than that, because this world is full of problems. All these things that I've just listed, that's what's wrong with the world. So we've just been talking about creation over the last two Sundays. Somebody might ask this question, well, how could a good God create a world this bad? The answer is God did not create a world this bad. He created a perfect creation and we're going to see together today what went wrong. So we're on our way to Genesis 3 to see what happened, but let's just remind ourselves of the perfect creation as we get started here. God created the world and remember he said repeatedly, it is good. It was Perfect. The first man and woman, Adam and Eve, they had it all. Can you imagine a life like this? They had no unmet needs. They had a great relationship. The only perfect marriage ever, they had it before the fall that we're going to talk about. They had a great spiritual life. God would walk with them in the garden each day. They had a great home in the garden. I don't know what that home must have looked like, but I know this. It's not like your home and my home. In their home, nothing was deteriorating. Nothing was breaking down. I bet you have that trouble in your home. Something's always needing repairing. Something always needs replacing. They did not have that experience before the fall. They had a great life. Again, literally no problems. And you and I have never had a, a day like that where there are no problems. Even if we had no problems we could think of, we're worried about tomorrow because we know there will be problems. And Adam and Eve had only one command from God. In their moral innocence, created in the image of God, God did not need to give them numerous laws and boundaries. God told them just one thing. There's just one tree in the garden. Do not eat from it. This is Genesis 2:15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat 
For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So how gracious of our God. All of Adam and Eve's needs were met. Every tree in the garden available to them for food except just one. God did not lay any other laws on them. And yet this is where the first man and woman failed. This is where they fell. So we've been talking about a perfect creation, but now we talk about the tragic fall. Genesis 3 records the moment where it all went wrong in one act of rebellion, in just one cataclysmic act of disobedience. And this is Genesis 3 now, verses 1 through 6. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. So Adam and Eve created in, in innocence, but they were not ignorant of God's will for them. They were not unaware. God had given them this one clear command with attached to it a clear warning of a consequence. And clearly they were allowed a choice. So here they are, they are tempted. Moses, who was inspired by God to write the first five books of the Old Testament, he's inspired to record this, what happened at the very beginning, the, the fall of humanity. And he mentions here the serpent. Now, later in scripture, we're gonna know more fully who this serpent is. Here we read it, if you're just reading this for the first time, like, who is that? And what's he doing? And that's very unique for a serpent. But we, we learn who this is even throughout the scriptures. But how about this? Revelation 12, 9. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent, who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. So this serpent is the tempter, the deceiver, a hater of God and all that's good, the devil. And he successfully tempts the first man and first woman and entices them to disobey God. Now I want us to analyze this moment of temptation where the fall took place, because you're gonna see with me, this is exactly how Satan is likely tempting you in your life almost every day of your life. So let's analyze it together. First of all, notice that Satan began with a leading question, twisting what God said. And he, so he asked the question, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? But that's not at all what God had said. Here, Satan plants this idea in their mind that God's being super restrictive of you. But in response, Eve accurately quoted back what God did say. So she countered right at first, we can eat from every tree except one or we die. So then Satan comes along next with a direct rejection of what God said. Did you notice verse four? You will not 
surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So Satan tempted them to doubt the command of God. Satan tempted them to doubt the goodness of God. Essentially, what he's saying is this. God is trying to keep something good from you. You can't trust what God has said. You will not die. Instead, something wonderful is going to happen. You're going to actually become wise like God. So God's holding out on you. Eve then estimates this in her own mind now. And she decides, you know what? That tree that God said don't touch, that's bad. Something bad's going to happen. You know what? I estimate differently. I, I see that this tree is good. It's good for food. It's good to make me wise. So up to this point in the scriptures, only God is determining what's good. Remember, he creates, it's good, it's good, it's good. And here's the thing to avoid. And now she takes it upon herself, deceived by the evil one, to say, you know what, that tree that God said don't touch it, it's actually, it's actually good and I'm going to go for it anyway. And I want us to pause over this a second because this is how so many of your temptations and my temptations go. It's a temptation to substitute what God has said with what I think. And I bet it's true in your life as well. So you come to believe in a moment of temptation that you know better than God knows. You substitute your perspective for God's perspective. You start to call something good that God's already told you is not good. And you reach out and you partake of it and you've now sinned against God. So it may be something like this in your life. Let's just think how this temptation works. Somebody does something to you and you know as a believer in Christ, you're not to retaliate. We're not to return evil to evil for anyone. In fact, remember Jesus said, when someone insults you, you turn the other cheek. But in a moment of temptation, you think, I know God says that, but it's right for me to strike back. It's, my, it's right for me to get even with somebody. And so God said this, but I know, I know better than that. Or it could be something like this. You think, I know I'm not supposed to gossip, but that's really harmless. I determine it's not that big a deal. And so... And really, who can contain that? I think I might explode if I don't tell this juicy information that I have come to know. And so what God calls evil, I minimize and say, no, it's good. I'm going to go ahead and go for it. Or sometimes we do it this way. You know, I know normally this would be sinful. I mean, I know the Bible talks about it. But in my case, in my set of circumstances, God and I have an understanding that it's actually not bad in my case. It could be something like this in the realm of morality. A person might say, listen, I know that the Bible teaches that you're to reserve sex for marriage between a man and a woman. It's the only place. I know that. But my boyfriend and I are going to move in together because we love each other and everybody does this. And really, it's going to help us find out if we're compatible with one another. And so, you know, we're going to go ahead and move in together. And it's good. I know what God said, but I know better than him. It's going to be good. Same deception. Same. It's the same move. It's the same playbook from Genesis 3, that you and I contend with every day in our lives. Listen, are you really going to follow God? Or, or look, there's a better way than what God is telling you. So it can be on a fleshly level with your desires. Like I got, these desires are strong and this can't be wrong. So I'm just going to go for it. But it can be on a more intellectual level. This is what Satan goes to as well. Listen, did God really say that? No, you, you really won't die. It's not going to go like God said. And you might be one on an intellectual level. I don't know that I can really trust that Bible and I'm going to do things my own way. So I want to look at that for a few moments together before we move on. Because Christian, you need to be on the alert to that same tactic that Satan has always used. You, to be in defense against that, you need to know the word of God. What has God said on everything? 
And then trust the Word of God and listen to the Word of God and obey what He's told you. Any voice that challenges the Word of God in your life is from the evil one. Whether it's coming from the culture or coming from your own mind, from your own heart, if you're challenging and rejecting the Scriptures, this is the same move that Adam and Eve made to a disastrous effect in their lives. So again, we've talked about this. We've talked about temptations. We've talked about places where we have failed. This is a perfect moment. If you see that you've been disagreeing with God, with what he said, great moment to confess that to God. Right there in the privacy of where you are, just you and God now dealing with one another, where you be wise to say this, God, I, you know, I've been disagreeing with you. I've acted like I was wiser than you. I've been a fool like Adam and Eve were fools. And I just want to acknowledge that right now. Would you forgive me and whatever he's brought to your mind? And aren't you glad for a merciful God who, when you acknowledge your sin, he will forgive your sin if you're coming through his son, Jesus. So we've been talking about here a perfect creation. But this tragic fall, and I I want us to see it again, verse 6. This morning, reading this again before driving in to preach to all of you, you know I had to fight a lump in my throat in reading verse 6 again. Because this is where where everything went wrong. Hear it again, verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise... She took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. The one command of God, they rejected it. So the perfect creation, the tragic fall, now this, the dreadful consequences. Let's consider together the dreadful consequences. That's verse seven and following. And this is gonna be a lengthy passage I'm gonna read. So please do follow along in your Bible and let's just consider all that, really was derailed once they sinned. Verse seven, then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is it that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain, you you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain, you shall eat eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles, it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat of the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it, you were taken. For you are dust and to dust, you shall return. They broke the one command they had and the consequences were devastating. 
And these are the consequences you and I are still experiencing every moment of our lives. This is that moment that we're calling the fall. This act of foolish rebellion changed everything for all time. They brought sin and death into the universe through this act of disobedience. So think about it. All that was lost immediately here when they sinned. So instead of perfect love and harmony, now they're hiding from God. They're not looking forward to seeing God now that they're in sin. They're blaming each other now instead of this unity of their relationship. And now she's promised as a woman that there's going to be pain in childbirth and there's going to be hard work to provide for themselves in the world. So remember, prior to the fall, one of the blessings of their existence was to be fruitful and multiply. So the bearing of children was to be a great gift and still is after the fall. But now pain is introduced into that blessing. And of course, the earth was so fertile and easy to take care of before the fall but now we're told it's going to be difficult. There's going to be sweat involved. Verse 17, very powerful. <clears throat> the, the, the Lord says to Adam, cursed is the ground because of you. And now physical death enters into their lives. Death is now in process. They didn't drop dead, but now they're dying. Verse 19 again, by the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it, you were taken for you are dust and to dust you shall return. Death is now a part of the human experience. And then you know they were dismissed from the garden. You can read about that in verses 22 and following. Paradise indeed lost. This sin brought them immediate spiritual death and separation from God. And then when you cross into Genesis chapter 4, you find the very first murder on the earth where Cain killed his brother Abel. And then when you get to Genesis 6, you see just what a terrible condition mankind is in. Listen to Genesis 6, verse 5. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. So for Adam and Eve, when they sinned, there were immediate personal consequences for their sin. And there have been ongoing even universal consequences for all humanity. Adam's disobedience, his disobedience unleashed onto all of it would come after him, disorder, division, decay, indeed death. And this teaching is not just confined to the first chapters of the book of Genesis, even in the new covenant, everything points back to this moment where everything went wrong. So for example, hear with me, Romans 5. In Romans 5, Paul explains the impact of this first sin of the first man on all who came after him. Romans 5, 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. So Adam's sin brought a curse on the entire creation. Adam brought sin and death into the human experience. That's his legacy. That's the damage done by what Paul calls here one transgression. Think of it. God gave Adam a perfect earth and he wrecked it. A number of years ago, I read an article about a man in Britain who bought a $260,000 Ferrari. That's shocking just in and of itself. A quarter million dollars for a Ferrari. But listen to this. He wrecked it within hours of taking possession of it. Not just wrecked it, he totaled it. 
went airborne, fiery crash. Thankfully, he walked away with scratches. But can you imagine the humiliation? It's so noteworthy here. I'm in a sermon. I'm talking about it. And uh, I didn't write his name down. I wouldn't want to share it anyway. That's just embarrassing to do such a thing. But Adam did worse. Handed a perfect earth and he wrecked it. And wouldn't you agree with me? Totaled it. This is a mess that we deal with. So back to our original question that we started with today. What's wrong with the world? Here's the answer. It's sin. Sin's wrong with the world. And the consequences of sin. The fall of Adam and Eve was the fall of humanity. Every problem we have, we can trace back to this moment of disobedience to God when the earth was cursed and we then have this problem with sin ourselves. So we've seen creation. Now we're entering into fall and the horrendous fallout from that fall. And Paul explains that Adam's sin in the garden had cataclysmic and universal consequences. Adam's sin ushered in death. So it's critical that you understand that that's how it works. Sin always leads to death. No matter how you might want to minimize it or dress it up, sin is costly. Sin is deadly. It's not what we're to do. Adam was warned by God, if you sin, it will lead to death. Again, Genesis 2.16, and the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat for in the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. And Paul said again in Romans 5.12, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men. Or Romans 5.15, many died through one man's trespass. Or Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. And in the book of Revelation, we learn of a second death referring to hell. So Adam's sin ushered in death. Adam's sin ushered in judgment and condemnation into our experience. Romans 5, 18, one trespass led to condemnation for all men. Romans 5, 19, by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So notice the blame is Adam's, but it's also ours. So this isn't a sermon where we're just going to hate on Adam. I know we're frustrated with what he did, wish he hadn't, and Eve hadn't had her part in it. But here we're humbled as well because we're told we're a part of the ongoing problem. So look at Romans 5, 12 again. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men. Listen, because all sinned. So we have perpetuated the problem that did begin with Adam. We've brought our own disobedience in and countless times we've added our own disobedience to what we see here in the book of Genesis. Have you noticed that you have what we could call a sin nature? That you inherited this from your parents and we trace that all the way back to the original couple. Ever since the fall, we have inherited a tendency toward sin. And we see it early in life. And so even with our adorable children, so when your children were born, indeed, your children were the cutest children ever. And especially your grandchildren, if you have those cutest kids ever. And we, we know they are adorable, but pretty soon we recognize all is not well with that precious little one. Cute, but given enough time, they begin to express themselves in ways we go, well, that's not good. That's not good. So defiance comes pretty early, right? And so once they begin to express themselves, like some kids, their first word is no, right back at you. Man, I wish I hadn't taught you that word because now you're using it against me. 
Little children, cute as they are, selfish. And sometimes they express real anger. Some kids, their first word is mine. Get quite possessive. Sometimes even steal from others. That's embarrassing when you go down to pick up your kid from the childcare on a Sunday morning and they tell you, your kid's been stealing from other children, you know, <laughs> taking toys from other people. You know, what's, what's wrong with my kid? It's not just your kid. Uh, aggressiveness. Some kids are just more prone to that, but every kid can get aggressive. And, and then what about dishonesty? Did you ever teach your kid to lie? You never had lie lessons at your house, but you know, the classic kind of thing covered with chocolate. Did you eat that cookie? Mm, you know. Just in their nature to do the very thing God said not to do. And these tendencies, they're, they're cute when they're little. Sometimes you have to turn away to keep from laughing when you're disciplining, when they're really little and cute. But man, that, that gets old fast. They get a little older. It's, it, there'll be tears in your household over these kinds of things. So, so look at your own heart. It, again, it doesn't stop as children. We just see it coming early. We're just making the point. We, we've been born broken. We've been born with a tendency to sin against God. That, that famous hymn, prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. And this is a sin nature that we have. So, so think about yourself a minute. Isn't it, isn't it disappointing when you, when you think about your heart and your mind, how you have these, these impulses and inclinations to do what you know is wrong? Isn't that disappointing? It's embarrassing, but it's not just you. So think about where does this desire to boast and brag about ourselves, where does that come from? Nobody taught us to do that. It comes from our sin nature. What about this tendency toward lust, to not be faithful to our spouses, to have thoughts wander and eyes wander, that temptation, where does that come from? That's coming from your sin nature that you were born with. Why is it easier to lie than to tell the truth? Your sin nature, your flesh, the Bible calls it. Why this tendency toward anger, to be mad at other people and to not forgive other people, to hold grudges, what is that? That's coming from your sin nature that you inherited. So we have a nature that's hostile toward God. Galatians speaks this way, Galatians 5, 16. But I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are, in, these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. So sin entered the human race through Adam and it has spread and it spread to all of us and we now have a sinful nature, this tendency towards sin. And we're all guilty, though. It's not we can't blame Adam because we have sinned, Romans 5, 12. Romans 3, 23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So we can say it this way. Adam opened the door to sinning and all of us gladly walked through. And we have just been sinning in innumerable ways all through our lives. So, so understand with me, sin is never harmless. Even the sin's of today. They're never harmless. Always will separate you from God because in a moment of sin, you're choosing sin over God himself. When you and I sin, we're just as foolish as Eve and Adam in the garden. When you and I sin, we're just as rebellious. We can't minimize it. Like, well, I don't mean anything as bad as all that. Somebody might even look at Adam and Eve and, well, they just ate some fruit. What big a deal is that? Well, it's just fruit. Why would God care so much? Because they're disobeying a holy God. And you and I are doing the same kind of thing when we refuse to do what he told us to do, or we do the things he told us not to do, when we choose our path over his path, when we choose our wisdom over his wisdom, it's going to be costly. So think about it in your life. I bet you already have examples where you see, I can see ways that I've hurt myself and people that I care about with my sin. Maybe you've destroyed a friendship because of your sin. 
you just look back and think, man, I was, I was totally wrong. I hurt that relationship. I totaled it by my sin. Maybe you look back in your life and you think, man, I, I destroyed my family. There are things you can do where you, through your actions and inactions, you can destroy your family. You could total your family. You can do it to your career. You can, be, you can be slack, you can be dishonest, you can embezzle, you can do things like, I brought all that trouble on myself and everybody I care about. I did it. I totaled my career. Sin wounds you and sin wounds those around you. And so here's the question, what's the solution for this sin? Some people come up with, I think, wrong solutions. You know what? Education's the answer. If we just educate everybody, we won't have these problems on the earth. And education's wonderful. We're all for it, but that's naive to think that educating people is going to solve this problem. Some people think if you just end poverty, give everybody enough money and people won't be aggressive, they won't hurt one another, they won't be stingy and selfish, and that's just not true. That's naive. There's something deeply wrong within all of us, and certainly none of that would account for the guilt we have before God. I, I need forgiveness here. So here's a question. Can anyone undo what Adam did? And the good news is there's one who can undo what Adam did. Jesus can. Even in the garden, what did God do? Saw them in their shame and they had tried to cover themselves. God covered them with the skins of animals. So that means God made the first sacrifice there in the garden to cover the shame of these two, foreshadowing what Jesus would ultimately do when he would give his blood to cover up over all of our sin. Even this promise that a seed of the woman is going to crush the head of the seed of the serpent, this good news that Jesus is going to come and defeat the evil one. And so, yes, we're going to talk about redemption in a couple of weeks, but we can't hold off. We have to talk about the good news even now. There is one who can reverse the curse. Again, real quickly, Romans 5, Paul talked about this. Romans 5, 18. Notice the contrast between what Adam did and what Jesus offers to do. Romans 5, 18. So then as through, through one transgression, there resulted condemnation to all men. Even so, through one act of righteousness, there resulted justification of life to all men. For as through the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, even so through the obedience of the one, the many will be made righteous. The law came in so that the transgression would increase, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, even so God would reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. How did Jesus reverse the curse? Jesus left heaven, lived perfectly, the only one who ever lived perfectly, went to the cross to give himself as a perfect sacrifice, giving his perfect blood to make atonement for all of our sins. And he was raised from the dead on the third day. And our move is to acknowledge our sin before him and to believe in Jesus as the only remedy for sin. No longer trusting in ourselves, things we might do, but we're trusting in the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the one who gave his life for us to reconcile us to God. So yes, bad news this morning as we talk about the fall and this sad reality. Oh, but good news, there's one who can reverse the curse. Would you trust in Jesus today? Would you ask Jesus to be your savior? Give your life to him and you'll experience everlasting life. Would you pray with me?